Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, my name is James and this is the 92 podcast. I'm on a quest to speak to one fan from each of the 92 football teams that make up the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two. Each episode, I'll shine the spotlight on a different club, talking to their fans, playing silly games and quizzes, and learning what it's like to be a supporter of their team. In this episode, we talk about a team who currently hold the unwanted record for the most relegations from the Premier League. It's Norwich. Norwich is just different because it just has a, a hold over so many people. There's no other. You've got no choice. <laughs> go to Norwich or go watch Cambridge or Kings Lynn, really, I think. We did have a bid at once for Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. We made an 8 million bid for Celtic. Um, I mean, that would have been nice. We're never going to go out and we're never going to spend 10 million on a player. It's just not going to happen, even for a even with the Premier League. Now, I don't know a lot about Norwich besides having Pukey in my fantasy team last season, which is why I've enlisted the help of Rob. He's a Norwich fan. Welcome to the 92 podcast. Hello, Rob. Hello. Thanks very much. Uh, you sir. Stitched me up a bit with that relegation record. I didn't realise that one was going to get shared. It's not one of my favourite ones. Yeah, it's it's probably not the one that you would want to be highlighted, is it? So how long have you been a fan of Norwich then, Rob? Oh, I mean, I was probably six years old. So 20-odd years I've been a Norwich fan. Um, I first got a season ticket when I was six. Strangely, my, my dad, I mean, he was actually a Sunderland fan, but was living in Norfolk. And they did uh, season tickets, kids for a quid a game, believe yeah. it or not. So, yeah, it was a pound a match for me when I grew up. That, to be honest with you, is one of the success stories of the club, really, because at that time, you know, the crowd was probably, what, 14,000, 15,000 a match in the 27,000 stadium. That bit of work that they did to encourage the youth of that time to start going for a quid, I mean, now you, you can't get a season ticket at the club. It's crazy, isn't it? You mentioned there that... Obviously, they got you interested in football at a very young age by doing that kind of deal. How important do you think it is for other clubs to do that oh, nowadays? Yeah, I think it's just it's the problem is it's short sighted finance where yeah. the actual own the guy at the time, Neil Doncaster, who brought that in and was working for the club at the time. I mean, he's obviously long left the club now. He wasn't around to see it actually the fruit be you know picked if you like from that decision. I think. It was just one of those ones where it also coincided with a moderate of success. So at the time, we weren't very doing very well in the championship. And then they did that deal. We then got to a playoff final and then won the league the year after that to get promoted from the championship to the Premier League. So I think it was like a two-prong thing. But ever since then, I've had tickets and my family have had season tickets ever since. So you're talking 20-odd years, so financially, it's a no-brainer, really, in the long term. What are games like at Carrow Road, then? Yeah, I mean, Carrow Road, it's, it's, it's the same as a lot of grounds, really, I think. I mean, most fans, if they're honest, would probably say sometimes that they find their own fans frustrating. Yeah. Norwich is a team where I can remember some games, we, I don't know if you watched the game that we, where we beat Manchester City yeah. last time in the Premier League, the atmosphere in that game and there's been other games even in League One that I would say so but I think also when things are against us, you know, like many fans, they can potentially turn and start to struggle with the way that the managers play. I mean, one example for me is when Daniel Farker first came in three years ago, the style of football change 
So the passing out from the back and the rule change around having a goalkeeper pass a ball to a defender in the six-yard box. I mean, you can almost audibly hear the the, the, the intake of breath from everyone <laughs> as we're passing it back across yeah. the back line. It's just something that we weren't... The fans took, I would say, six to, to eight months to get used to, especially when mistakes were made. You know, the, the whole the shout of get it forward. But that was the thing that I think now we've totally bought on. And when I go to other games, I hear I still hear that shout of get it forward. And I think it's probably because of the success that the team's had. So you mentioned that you've been to other stadiums other than Carrow Road. Are there any other stadiums that you've visited that you particularly like? Yeah, I mean, I've got some obvious ones that I've been to. As you know, I went yeah. to the University of Sunderland, so I, I, I've got a soft spot for Sunderland as well. A lot of my family supports Sunderland, and they are a perfect example of the type of set of fans that, you know, when things were going well and also when things, times are tough but they have a good run of form, crowd it's you know the stadium's full but at the same time you know i can remember being at games where some of them are three nil down and everyone just goes home at half time yeah it's one of those things where there's something there's a weird one is rotherham i've been there that's that's a it's a it's a really quite a nice new stadium but also i mean the fans you can't hear anyone that doesn't have the accent which is i think an interesting one everyone who's there has the local accent whereas I felt like when I've gone to your Manchester United's, your that kind of stadium, your Arsenal's, it's more of a franchise club. It's globalism. Yeah. It's completely different. Whereas your likes of your Rotherhams and teams like that, where I've been, it's like you just, as I say, you just everyone, everyone seems to be from the area and has the accent. Um, dare I say, even the Grimsby's, where I've been back <laughs> in the day. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the more the thing for me. I've been to a lot of different grounds, but I think. The ones that I prefer are the ones where you can tell it's it's really the local people. How does Norwich compare in that respect then? Are most of their fans from the local area? Yeah, I would say so, but I think the difference with Norwich is we've got such a massive catchment area. Yeah. So we've got the whole of a county, really, the whole of Norfolk. I mean, Kings Lynn are now playing in the National League, so that's nice to have them back playing at a decent level. But for a long time, even they went into the very low leagues of football. And, and I think... I mean, the only other team that we've got nearest is Ipswich, which obviously can't attract like we can. No. Um, but very formidable club back in the day. But you talk in an hour and a bit drive and it's in Suffolk. And also very interesting, their pricing model is, I mean, it's no less expensive to go to an Ipswich game. And it never has been, even when we've been in the Premier League and now they're in League One. They're, they're not cheap. It's one of those things where Norwich is just different because... It just has a, a hold over so many people. There's no other. You've got no choice. You can go to Norwich or go watch Cambridge or Kings Lynn, really, I think. And both those clubs, it's nice to see both those clubs starting to get back to where they were 10 years ago. So you mentioned uh, Ipswich there. In terms of rivalries, obviously there is the East Anglian derby, which is Norwich and Ipswich. But yeah. are there any other teams that you particularly like or dislike playing against? I think the East Anglian derby, you know, gets a lot of stick from people in terms of, I mean, it's called the old, the old farm derby yeah. on BBC, which always winds me up a bit. And it's, I think it's one of those ones where, well, I'd say it's different to your Sunderland Newcastles. A Norwich fan may never come into contact with an Ipswich fan. The only time they might come in contact is for the derby because it's such a, a distance. Yeah. And I would say it's unique in that, whereas... Most other derbies, people work with people, people have friends or extended family. Even Everton, Liverpool, 
it's practically family splits. Yeah. Um, whereas Norwich Ipswich, it's like you know, it's a it's a big distance. You only come in contact once a year, and I've been to games where it has been extremely heated, even with the fans and that after the game. But I think in terms of other teams, I mean, that's always been just because of I think competitiveness at the time. So everyone will say Leeds, but that was just because of the league one season, and we were both competing for that that league title that year. And I think so that they're an example. I mean. Other teams really, it's just sort of more bogey signs. I think Middlesbrough, but that was just because of the playoff final, really. Yeah, it's it's difficult on that one. I think it depends whoever is that team at the time that we're competing with in the league. So I'm sure one will come out this year. It was again the year that we went up and won the league. It was Leeds again because Leeds were up against us, and also you've got lights of Brentford potentially this year, but. It's too soon to say, really, yeah. I think. So let's move on to the dreaded relegation talk now. Norwich, as we mentioned, hold the record now for the most relegations from the Premier League. So naturally, you'll have a lot of experience of the feelings associated with that. Exactly how does it feel to see your club get relegated? It's the worst feeling. That It's just, I think, as you're saying, I've felt it so many times now. Apart from one that I can specifically remember, all the others... I've you know had time to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of understanding, you know, it's it's coming. Uh, this Premier League one was especially so, and I think with COVID and other stuff that we'll potentially get into later around what happened with us and the injuries, and it was one of those things where we went up, we made a, a decision, and if we were going to stay up, everything needed to go for us, and everything went against us that could have gone against us, and I think that was a shame one of those things where and the same with this one you build yourself up you think you'll be okay but it doesn't really hit you till it's the day and it's just that disappointment and that you know I think the thing for all Norwich fans is our you know with the the negative of the championship a lot of people say to us well the championships are very difficult to get out of yeah and for us it's kind of what is it (laughs) because (laughs) we we always manage we work in three-year cycles it seems to be we go up we maybe last a year, um, maximum two. We come down, or we could come down straight away. We then have one. This this year normally is our sort of struggle year, where we sort of finish lower mid-table, or mid-table, and then we have a big change. We change the management, and then we win the league. <laughs> that t- sort of tends to be our sort of, in the past sort of 10 years, kind of the, the way it goes. But I think, you know, this is this year is unique in that I can't think of us ever being such an odds, like an odds on team yeah. um, in all other years where we've won the league or we've got promoted through the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs was kind of expected in terms of that, but I've never seen teams come and play against us how they are this year. I mean, I mean, I know Birmingham drew 0-0 last night. And I didn't watch the game because I wasn't surprised because the way that they came to play us was just, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. They didn't just park a bus, they parked a lorry. It was just (laughs) everyone in the back line, 30 yards from goal. I think that's completely different to, I mean, last year, all of our games were like 3-2, 4-3. You know, there was games where we came back from 3-0 down to draw 3-3. Whereas I think this year it's going to be a lot of 1-0s you know, nil-nils, teams just know how we're going to play, they're going to let us have the ball, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a breaking down season. From relegations to promotions, obviously 
that record for the most relegations also implies that you've had a few promotions too, as you've just touched upon there. Yeah. How does that feeling compare to relegation? I mean, yeah, that's definitely something I'll never get bored of. I think it's what I love about the, the championship. And I don't go as far as other people that say daft things like, oh, you know, I'm happy being in the championship. I'm not happy being in the championship. You know, I want Norwich to be in the Premier League financially to be a stable club. I mean, we don't have a lot of money. We need to be in the Premier League as much as we can be to then have all of the other unbelievable stuff like the academy that we have. I mean, it's not so much just the promotions. I think it's like today, whatever game, whatever team we're playing, we've had some uh, the odd bad time in the championship, but I can honestly say for my entire lifetime, it's been very rare that we've gone into a game and I've thought, I'm not looking forward to this game. This is going to be a game that we can compete in. Whereas I would say in the Premier League, there's some, been some games where I know what our team is. I know, you know, especially last year with our injury issues, we haven't got, we haven't actually got a chance. Realistically, we're not going to keep a clean sheet. We're not going to be able to contain the likes of players that we're coming up against, and we're not actually probably going to score. <laughs> so it was just a case of waiting for that first goal for the other team, and then after that first goal, we come out and the floodgates open. I think whereas in the championship, I mean, it's not just the joy of the actual promotion and, and you know, the trophies and that kind of thing. It's more the going to every game, knowing that we are going to compete and the chances are we're going to at least score some goals. So let's delve a little bit more into some of your personal memories. Who are some of your favourite players that you've seen don uh, Norwich City shirt? First one, uh, every time. I mean, because I'm, I'm going back to when I was young, really, here. Uh, Darren Huckabee. He was the first player. I mean, we signed actually on loan from Manchester City at the time, and he was the first player that was one of those ones where he would get the ball, and because of his style and his direct running, the whole crowd would sort of almost the atmosphere would change every time we got the ball. And it also, it was because at the time when he first came, we didn't have the best team. A lot of people would accuse that of us being at that time a little bit one-man team. That did change over time, and we signed some other players. Believe it or not, players like Peter Crouch. We had Peter Crouch at that time. Yeah. We got him on loan as well. Another player that I liked was called uh, Youssef Safri. He was a Moroccan centre midfielder who scored the best goal. Google it. Um, Youssef Safri goal versus Newcastle. That's the best goal I've ever seen live. It was about. It must have been 40 yards, and uh, he just hits it from a standing position, pretty much. I think. A lot of my favourite players, I'm, I'm doing some very you know, good Norwich players, the likes of Grant Holt, a bit of a disservice, just because I was older. So I think I've grown up a bit and you don't yeah. seem to idolise players. There's another player that I remember as well called Steen Nedergaard. I believe he was Danish, he was a right back. And I think he was the first, I think he was the first goal that I can remember. I think I was about six or seven at the time and he, he was a right back and he scored a very long range goal that I, that I can still remember to this day. So I think, yeah, probably top three of Darren Huckabee. I'm probably missing Ewan Roberts as well. He scored a lot of goals for Norwich. He was coming towards the end of his career. So I'd say uh, Darren Huckabee, Youssef Safri and um, Ewan Roberts is my top three. But notable mentions for Grant Holt and Wes Houlihan probably. Yes. <laughs> so are there any other players that are playing for other teams, obviously other than the obvious ones like Messi's and the Ronaldo's yeah. and the Neymar's, that you'd like to see play at Carrow Road? There was a couple of players, um, I was on Twitter last night, there was like unfortunate out-of-context things that have happened to us over the years. 
we had a we did have a bid at once for Virgil Van Dyke. Yeah, we made an eight million bid for Celtic. Um, I mean that would have been nice. <laughs> um, I think was it Kuda Bali as well at one point. It was a time where we were looking at centre backs, and we were looking at all these different centre backs. And I don't know who we ended up signing at the time instead of. I think it might have been Tim Closer yeah. or someone like of that ilk at the time. It's just realistic. I'm too much of a realistic to dream too much. I mean, my favourite ever signing at the time was Ricky Van Walsfinger. We know how that worked out. <laughs> that did, I mean, I remember being hyped about that. That was I mean, He was linked with Liverpool. We got him on a January deal. Bizarrely, we bought him in the January, but we didn't get him till the summer. And that just, just did not work. I mean, yeah. he had injuries and all sorts of problems. But, I mean, even if you look at his career since then, bless him, he's had a fractured skull and all sorts. It's just not worked out for him. He scored a fantastic header on his debut. But just physically, I don't think that helped him. But I would, I'll go with historically, I was very excited about Virgil van Dijk at the time. But it didn't happen. <laughs> that would have definitely been an interesting one. We'll come on to um, transfer activity in a little while, but are there any other players that you didn't enjoy seeing play and you just wanted them to get out of the club as quickly as possible? Yeah, my dad often says this about me. Um, and apparently I've got a cult hate figure <laughs> who seems to always receive the brunt of criticism. Bless, I mean, I don't mean this against them personally at all. It, it was just players that... At the time, I just found frustrating. I mean, one of them was uh, we had a guy called Matty Patterson, who's from the northeast actually, and I always struggled with him. Andy Hughes as well. It tends to be midfielders that I don't really get. Are they attacking or defensive? Yeah. So like, I don't mind a proper defensive midfielder. I don't mind an attacking midfielder that gives the ball away sometimes. Wes Houlihan was one of them, who was a bit of a luxury player. I mean, he was called the Norfolk Messi. Um, <laughs> And uh, he used to just, you know, kind of float around where he liked on the pitch, but had that ability to not necessarily assist, but the pass before the assist. Yeah. And I was obviously a fan of him. But I think, yeah, it's that midfielder that sort of... And I, and one of the players that we will come on to who, I mean, I was quite critical of, who I didn't understand, was we had a player called Lucas Rupp, who's playing for us at centre mid at the moment. And I didn't really get... I think the difference that I would say now, and I had Mario Vrancic was another one, believe it or not, two, three years ago when we first signed him, who again, you know, I think a lot of it with these players, it was the the cultural difference and the change from the leagues that they were playing in to the championship, which you don't get time. You're not going to be, you know, the the teams you're playing against aren't going to let you have the ball, you know, and it's the same in the Premier League. It's very fast paced. I think what I will say is um, I've learned with Daniel Farker and Stuart Webber in the current setup that actually I don't know what I'm talking about. They do, and over time, that they they all they've all proved me wrong. There's some players in the past that I don't. I mean, another one was Patrick Bamford, but I mean it shows me again what what do I know? I yeah. mean, he's banging them in left, right, and centre. But we we had him on loan, and I just thought he was was nowhere near. He was too lightweight. I just didn't see. I didn't think he was quick enough. I just thought, where are your goals coming from? But he's he's showing, again, he's showing this year for Leeds um, that he can do it at this level, which I didn't expect. I think it's, when I was younger, there was there was players like Andy Hughes and that kind of thing who I was probably a bit harsh on. Um, but I think in the, in the current structure, it just seems to be that players need time to settle in. And I think maybe I need to sort of 
give them that time before I judge. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that every uh, football fan can relate to, um, thinking that you're better than the manager, isn't it? We've got our own football manager installed, or we've done better. That isn't, <laughs> it's the problem. That's that's the issue. We, you know, I've currently got Kings Lynn in the Champions League, so, you know, <laughs> it just goes to show that, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those ones where I think the key thing is for a lot of these managers is it's a strategy it's a long-term strategy and I think bless them a lot of them just do not get any time they don't get any time so they need a quick fix they need yeah. that player to come in and do a job so hence why a lot of them go for a, just a proper solid defensive midfielder to screen the back four because they yeah. know what they get with them so we've discussed what it's like to be a fan and now it's time to test your knowledge. You're going to have five questions about Norwich and five questions about football in the 92 in general. How do you think you're going to do about this one? I think you'll be fine with the Norwich ones. I think I'll be terrible. <laughs> I think I've got a terrible memory, but I, oh no, I'll do my best. We'll see. So question one, Norwich City and which other English side contest the friendship trophy every time they meet? Sunderland. Yeah. It's an interesting one, that one. It is. Question two. Yeah. Which EFL team play their games at Field Mill? Field Mill. Uh, no idea. Uh, Harrogate. Mansfield. Delia Smith is infamous now for her on-pitch motivation at halftime during a game against which Premier League opponents back in 2005? I think it was either... It was, it was either... Was it Man City? It was Man City. Middle, yeah, it was. Wow. Phil Foden scored his first England goals against Iceland last week and now holds the record of being the youngest player to do what for England? Is it having an affair in a different country? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. Oh, right. Um, I don't know. Score outside the box? No, he is the youngest player to score more than one goal at Wembley for uh, England. Of course. It's a very niche yes. one. It is, yes. Question five. Who did Norwich sign goalkeeper Tim Krul from back in 2018? It was a free transfer, I believe. Was it, he was released from Brighton? He was, yes. Yes, yeah. Question six. A new rule was brought in for EFL clubs recently, which allowed the use of what for the rest of the season? It's five subs. Yes. Uh, question seven. The furthest Norwich have ever got in the FA Cup is the semi-final on three occasions, but when was the last time they reached the semi-final? Oh... Because we weren't far off last year, um, got to the quarter-final, lost an extra time. Um, so it's 1989. No, it was 1992. Ah, oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> well, you should have said it, Rob. <laughs> I should have, yeah. <laughs> Which two teams, currently bottom of the championship, sacked their managers in the last couple of weeks? Derby. Yep. And it's got to be, surely, is Sheffield Wednesday still not bottom? Yep, it was those two. Sheffield Wednesday and Derby. And your final Norwich question, in the 2015 Championship playoff final, Norwich beat Middlesbrough 2-0 at Wembley, but who scored the goals? Cameron Jerome yeah. and Nathan Redmond. It was indeed. You've done well on the Norwich ones there. And you've got a final question. Who is the current longest serving manager in the 92? Wow. I'd be surprised if you get this one. Uh, there always used to be that one person, didn't there, that would like have been the manager for 10 years, but now it's like... It was Jim um, Bentley for Markham, but then he's right. not there now. Um, so they're in the... Uh, it will be one of the... I'd imagine a League 2, League 1 team that's sort of just happy where they are. It is a League 2 team, I can tell you that. Yeah, it's a League 2 team. It's Simon Weaver of Harrogate Town. Oh, I've already said Harrogate. I mean, that, that, that was kind of what I was, think I was thinking. 
it will be a team like that. Yeah. Like, you know, that are happy in League Two and even if they got relegated again, he'd still be the manager. Oh well. So out of a possible ten, you got six, which I don't think is bad at all. I mean, to be honest with you, a six out of ten, that's my kind of standard for life in general. If I'm getting six <laughs> out of ten in anything, it's a two one in it. You only got one of the Norwich ones wrong, so that's not too bad. Yeah, I was barely born then. I mean that's exactly. a bit that's a so let's move on to looking a little bit more at the current season for Norwich then. You're currently in the championship, as we've mentioned, with obviously an intention to bounce straight back up to the top flight. How is the season going so far? I think it's, yeah, I think we're hitting our straps now. I think it was a real hangover. I mean, the COVID situation to play the games like we did. I think what we did realise quite quickly, and I mentioned the touch about fans. Yeah. There seems to be a bit of an opinion that I mean our 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 team is quite young or has some young players and the way that we play we play with a tempo and I do honestly believe that the lack of fans have an effect I know everyone says this but I think when you are a worse aside for teams to come to Norwich to have an atmosphere that was always going to be on the side of the players because we were the underdogs I think that did have an effect I think this year because we lost something like 10 games in a row, 12 games in a row, and like some of the stats that we're coming out with were bound to have an effect. And I think, you know, to get off to a, got a win at Huddersfield, but then I think we lost a couple of games. I mean, there was one game against Derby, which was like they employed the successful part of the lorry and then just got a free kick and Wayne Rooney put it top corner. It was like a very frustrating game. And nine times out of 10, we win that game. We've started to hit our straps again. I mean, to go seven unbeaten and, win five of them, draw two, 17 points. I think that's a very positive sign. And I think it's just a case of trying to keep that that run going. And I think where I am positive is that that's now, what, the third time or second time I can think under Fark where he's had bad runs, difficult times, and we've come through the other side of them. Yeah, I think it's quite rare and I think there's obviously lots of reasons to that. I mean, most managers, no matter what the situation, would have been sacked. Would you know there would have been no questions asked about their sacking if we had sacked Daniel Farquhar after losing ten games in a row. Yeah. It just it's it's customary. But I think the thing for me is that we've got a proven championship squad. We've got a proven championship manager, and we've got a, a manager who's also proven that in his first year, where we finished fourteenth, that. We had some bad times where we were flirting with relegation and he got us through them and how he got us through them is more important. The main difference this year is our squad um, and our, our how much less, I think, injuries will affect us. Whereas last year, the sort of Daniel Farker Friday updates prior to a game, everyone was just, oh my God, what's it going to be this week? Yeah. Like, who are we not going to have? And because of work done by himself and the sporting director Stuart Webber we're in a much 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 stronger position I'm, I'm positive I'm very positive um, and I'm not normally the year after relegation I do think that we're in a much stronger position than other teams financially and squad and on the pitch so I think fingers crossed we can just sort of keep this run going it's two two points a game on average if we can get two points a game on average this year we'll finish top two and I think that's what we need Absolutely. So what have you thought about the transfer activity so far? Has there been many new faces join the club? Yeah, there's been loads. And I think that's one of the most impressive things that I would say. 
about this current structure over the past three years. I mean, we've made over a hundred million pounds in player sales, yeah. Yeah, and in profit. Um, so I think the way that we've gone about that. I mean, when we came in, uh, the when Stuart Webber and Farker came in, it was a case of the house was mortgaged and remortgaged, <laughs> and we and we needed to try and do something on a budget. Yeah. So hence the signings like Timo Puki. I mean, him on a free signing. I mean. I still cannot believe that. I mean, the stories where he was basically being offered by his agent to clubs, and clubs were going, nah, not big enough or not quick yeah. enough or we, we come along, give him a contract, don't even give him the number nine shirt. And I think he's got about, what, I think he's nearing 50 goal contributions in 80-odd games, which is just It's a very good incredible. return, isn't it, for a free transfer player? Absolutely incredible. How much do you even put money-wise on that? You just can't. It's... It's twenty million pounds, even in the championship. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, the transfer business that we have done way more often than not has been successful. It may have taken a year or two. So the likes of Mario Vrancic's, the Steepmans, who we bought. I mean, Steepman was mostly playing left back when we first bought him, and then was then coached and moulded into a number ten, <laughs> which is a very different position um, because of his height and strength and his ability to press from the front. So I think Mario Vrancic, again, was too slow on the ball. He needed too much time. He wasn't quick enough. Now, he's like a dead ball specialist. And pretty much every time he gets a free kick, it's like a penalty. He just puts a top corner. I think it's one of those things where our transfer business has been about a squad, building a squad. We were in a position when they first came in that we were pretty much auctioning off players. So James Madison, the sale of James Madison to Leicester, actually saved the club financially yeah we were in a bad way and i think we were tactical about how bad we were and we auctioned him off to the highest bidder and invested that money very wisely i think the signings that we've made this summer what we did was is we looked at our squad and we looked at players that we were convinced would leave that's what it seemed like to me so i think we were convinced that when emmy buendia would leave I think we were convinced that the likes of potentially, not Pookie because of his age and the contract, but we were convinced the likes of Godfrey would leave and Lewis yeah. would leave. Younger players, academy prospects, who have had half-decent seasons. Interestingly enough, I do find it interesting, though, that the players that we've sold have been the defenders, when defensively, that was our worst asset. Yeah. I think I think there's there's something to that. I think makes us more of an offensive threat because of the type of defenders they were. I mean, Godfrey was actually when he went out, out on loan to lower sides, he was a midfielder. So uh, who again, Farker had sort of pushed back into a centre back position because of his ability to carry the ball and his ability to pass out from the back. But he does make mistakes. He makes mistakes that a defender wouldn't make about losing their man because he's not used to men running off them. It's an interesting one, that one, and I'm very intrigued to see how that goes at Everton. I've noticed that they've played him out of position a couple of times at right back, which he did struggle with, but he was willing to do for us. But I think um, I think Lewis will be a fantastic sign for Newcastle. I think he's an, you know, his engine. He's a fantastic left-back, and I think he'll be a, a, a Premier League player for them for a decade, potentially. We signed Jordan Hugill as another striker option, gave him the number nine shirt. I think that was, and he's not really hit his straps yet. I think it's difficult because he hasn't had a run in the side. And I think he was more signed as a, a different option, someone stronger, someone in the air, 
more of an old-fashioned championship number nine for teams that are sitting in. I think we've yet to found a formation where he really fits, but I think he will be important, much like Jordan Rhodes was yeah. the year that we, we got promoted. I think Ben Gibson as well. I mean, he, for so, so far for me, is probably our best signing. I think we, we would have done with him last year. I think he's a proper lower league, Premier League centre-half that we've managed to get on loan with the option to buy. I think a lot of teams would have liked to have got him in. We, we managed to go out and sign 10 players and, and then sell a couple and make a massive transfer project profit. Um, I mean, Bal- I mean, even it's a real shame, but uh, Bally Mumba, who is a player who was let go very cheaply by Sunderland, he came on and, and changed the game and won us the game last week. And unfortunately, he's just suffered a knee injury, so he's out for the next 10 weeks. But he's another signing who I thought, wow, I mean, look, at the- he's basically just come on. He's not played. He's played for South Shields. <laughs> last year and now he's playing in the championship and his attitude I mean he was getting the ball he was taking on our logic I found it amazing was they've got um, Andre Ayew who's a fantastic player on yeah. that side but he's not good defensively so we're going to put you on left back and he won't mark you so basically run off of him and just be aggressive and he did and he, and he and obviously set up the winning goal so I think um yeah, I think our transfer policy has been criticised because we're never going to go out and we're never going to spend ten million on a player. It's just not going to happen. Even for a, even when we're in the Premier League, um, we're going to go and we're going to sign the likes of you know uh, Sorensen, who plays for Denmark, who's played for Denmark under twenty ones. Um, players that until we sign them, no one knows anything about them. No one's heard about them. It's like. That's what I think different. A lot of clubs, you kind of know what's happening and who they're after, and it's in the press or it's on local news. Whereas with us, it's like, bang, it's all under wraps. It seems like our strategy going forward is going to be spending more, but on younger prospects. So, you know, we might start to spend £5 million on a player who's under 21 with the idea of them then becoming good enough to be a Premier League player, which I think fits into our strategy as a team, which is to be in the top 26 teams in England, which I think is a brave thing to say. You're basically saying be in the Premier League or challenging the top six. And I think, as much as some fans don't like that, that's a realistic thing to say when you haven't got finance and you haven't got money. So I think, yeah, it's it's a thing that I think is probably the highlight for me. I think Farker's coaching makes it. But I think the job that Weber and the scouting network that we've got to come in to make the massive profit that we've made on players to be in the position that we can cope with a COVID crisis and make a two million pound profit. Obviously, we won't be next year because if there's no fans, then yeah. no no team's going to make a profit. But to be in this position where financially we had we could actually buy before we sold, which meant that we could replace anyone, and now we're, we're in a position where we've actually still got Emmy Brendier. I think it's a fantastic place to be in, and you know, sort of credit to them really. I think is how I'd finish that off. Daniel Farker, then, he's got you promoted before, like you mentioned. Do you think he is the right man to take the club forward? Uh, 100%. I mean, I, I mean, Stuart Webber, I was glad what he said. Um, he said, you know, Daniel Farker's here for as long as he wants to be here. And I think that's exactly the attitude. I mean, he had some interest, uh, apparently, from teams back in Germany. Yeah. Um, and, and his history is fantastic. I mean, he was basically uh, a sort of very low-level footballer, striker for um, Lipstadt. He then basically 
that I wanted to go into football finance and be the sporting director or director of football or that kind of line uh, for that club upon retirement. They said to him, unfortunately, we can't pay a manager and someone to do that job. So you're going to have to do your coaching badges and be the manager as well. (laughs) So he did his coaching badges, did that whilst also organising paying for buses and that kind of thing. Sort of had a very successful time with them, got them promoted, then got offered the British Dortmund second team job, which is historically a a role that Stuart Webber has always hired from. He did the same at Huddersfield. So I think, yeah, 100%, his attitude, the fact that I remember a game at Birmingham in his first year where there was a lot of calls. You know, me, myself, personally, some of the signings we've made, like Marley Watkins and who just hadn't worked out and some of the, the, the football we were playing, it was, it was you know, nil-nil draws because teams would... I think there was times, I think we were about 17th, in the, I think 17th, 15th in the championship going into the Christmas period and we were playing Birmingham away. I think if we'd have lost that, we'd have been one point outside the relegation zone. And he gave a debut to Jamal Lewis, who no one really knew much about at left-back. And I thought... I mean, at the time, I was thinking, wow, this guy, I mean, his job's... He's obviously got security in his job because he's gone and just gave a debut to a young lad who, I mean, I'd not even heard of at the time other than he played in the under-21s and he was man of the match. And it was like one of those... And then, obviously, Jamal Lewis's career since then, he's now a Premier League player. So I think that's a testament to him. And I think there's many other examples of that where times have been tough. And he sticks to his principles and he plays young players and he's not afraid to leave out experienced players, the likes of Dimerich, who we signed and hasn't worked out. Um, Adam Eder came in again last year, scored a hat-trick in the FA Cup. And ever since then, Dimerich can't even make squads. So I think it's, yeah, I think he's what for us, for the the model that we're trying to achieve and our transfer policy and to have a manager who doesn't get annoyed you know hit to, you know every transfer window we could sell our best player um, and he's okay with that a lot of managers are not okay with that <laughs> you know i think to, to you know someone could come in and just offer 25 million pound for wendy or 25 20 million pound for someone else and there's his two best players and he would be okay with it and, and would would basically just fill that void with another player that he's got a plan for. So we've mentioned then that obviously Norwich want to get promoted, but if I had to press you for a definitive answer as to where you think they're going to finish, what would you say? I honestly do believe that we will win the league. I've got absolute confidence. Where I do see that changing is injuries. Like again, Ida's out for 10 weeks, obviously losing Mumba. That now we've already lost Quintia. So that's two left-backs down. So we're at a position where we're going to have to play someone out of position at left-back again. I mean, I can't... We won't, We haven't had a settled back line for, for 18 months. And and that will have a, an effect on anyone. You just have to look at the the, the amount of um, media coverage that Liverpool are getting now for, for their defensive yeah. issues. And the fact that that will be used, you know, quite rightly in defence of potentially their performances going forward. I think... That's the one concern for me. We we did loan out Sam McCallum, which I was again against because of that. I mean, he's playing for Coventry, bit part, and he's a left back, and I was a bit confused at the time. 
and I knew this would happen, <laughs> where we would lose a couple of people for injury, and then, I mean, but Sorensen, bless, I mean, he made his, you know, his debut in England, he's never played left-back in his, in his life, he actually said, I've never played left-back, so not even, like, kids' football, and yet here he is making his debut in the Championship away to Bristol at left-back. And uh, he played brilliantly. So I think it's one of those ones where, I mean, he'll probably be playing today as well at left-back. And I do feel a bit sorry for him because he is actually a centre-mid and he hasn't actually played there yet. But I think, no, I'm very confident. I'm very confident that we we will at least be top two. So what's a typical match day like for you? Is it a full day thing or is it literally a just go to the match, come home and then you forget about it for the rest of the day? No, it's a, it's a full day thing. I mean, if if it's away, it's a it's a full weekend thing yeah. because it. So if I go from a home match day, it tends to be you know getting into the city relatively you know early. It depends on what other things are happening on that day. We might watch the early kickoffs somewhere. Um, there's also there's also various pubs around Norwich. And, uh, the people listening have been to Norwich, but it's a fantastic city to go to. There's so much stuff to do and. It's definitely worth it for for an away game. The ground isn't far at all from the train station, as well. So you've got options there to get travelling, so you can have a drink. Prince of Wales Road is known for its nightlife, so that's a, another place to go if you if you're an away fan. But I think yeah, for me personally, it's a family thing. I associate it with family. So ever since I've been very young, it's either been me going with my dad. Uh, if he couldn't go, because at the time he was in the police, it would be my nan would go and take me. Um, I think as I got older and Norwich got more successful, my mum's a bit of a glory supporter, if I'm honest. <laughs> she started to get a bit more interested. She always says that she's been a Norwich fan, but it wasn't until we started winning again that she showed a bit of interest. <laughs> but then um, she's, uh, so like, even now, I mean, they have three season tickets, um, one that's sort of shared between me and my brother, and we go where we can, and my yeah. mum and dad still go um, in the Joward stand. So I think, um, yeah, it's a family thing. Normally coincided with eating bad food and <laughs> drinking things. But yeah, drinking a bit and that kind of thing. But um, And I think with away games, uh, what, another reason why I enjoy the championship with me being based up north is it's just I get to go for so many more games. Yeah. I mean, Sheffield, you, you know, that kind of... Or lots of you know northern-based teams that I can, I can go and watch. And it tends to be that what happens is my... my dad or parents will come up uh, on the Friday night to mine, stay at mine, we'll travel together at the game, then they sort of tend to stay the weekend, so that's sort of nice as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely a, it's a family thing. It's not just the game. The game's sort of another thing that sort of, we, we, we tend to, the entire time we're together, it tends to be what we, we talk about, um, <laughs> is what's going to happen in the game and what's going to happen in the next game, so... Yeah, I think it's definitely a family thing. I'm sure it's the same with a lot of other people. Absolutely. So the final question then is about going to matches at Carrow Road. So for anyone that's listening that is maybe considering going to Carrow Road, obviously once um, fans are allowed back in the stadiums, is there anything that an away fan should absolutely do when they go to Norwich? Yeah, I think it obviously depends on what that away fan, their interests are. So, I mean, I'd argue... And I'm being stereotypical here, but I'd argue most away f- not football fans like to have a drink. So yeah. you probably are talking your, your, your Prince of Wales roads and that kind of thing. And it's, it is a very good night out. You know, you, you won't be lost for bars again when they're open. Um, in terms of the other stuff, it's a, it's, a, it's a city with history. I mean, you've got Norwich Castle, 
there's lots of things around Norwich to do. There's plenty of, you know, vibrant shopping areas and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think um, down Wensum, which is not far from the ground at all, there's some um, some great bars and that kind of thing. Yeah. And what uh, what's really nice is, again, it's come to an end now, but uh, Norwich started doing a thing which is called a walk to the ground. So Norwich fans meet about, I think I would say it's a mile, probably less than a mile away from the ground. Everyone meets up with their banners and they're obviously everyone wearing yellow and green. And everyone just walks to the ground. So you'll have a situation where you'll have like, you know, thousands as a group singing songs, walking to the ground. And it sort of builds the atmosphere. And I do think there's been a lot of effort by the, um, by the Norwich City fans themselves to improve the atmosphere. So a lot of bands and a lot of it's been partially funded by the club, but also supported by the fans and ran by the fans. Yeah. So hopefully there'll probably be some fans listening to this who have been to Norwich before and thought, oh, that wasn't very good. Like <laughs> the, the, the atmosphere wasn't very good. It has changed. It's, 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 it's much more vibrant and it's, they've put a concentrated effort into making it you know, much more of an experience. So it's definitely worth another go um, if you get the chance. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Rob, for agreeing to come onto the podcast and talk to us and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks very much, James. Cheers. Thanks again for Rob to talking to us and of course thank you for listening. If you'd like to help me on my quest to speak to at least one fan from each of the clubs in the 92 and talk all about your club, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the92podcast or email us the92podcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the 92 Podcast wherever it is that you found this episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, it'd really help us if you left us a rating and a review. Next time, I'll be ticking off another club in the 92. See you then. <laughs>